Welcome to Digest and Invest, the podcast from eToro that brings you the top financial stories and discusses their effect on the markets. The content that will be discussed is intended for information and educational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice or investment recommendation. Make sure you understand the risks involved in trading before committing any capital and never risk more than you are prepared to lose. Past performance is not an indication of future results. And now on to the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of the Digest and Invest podcast. Today, we have a very special guest who Josh and I are both super excited to speak to. We have Natalie Brunel with us. She is a Polish-American television news personality, investigative Emmy award-winning journalist, podcast host, and educator. For those that want to find out more about her, I've copied in her Twitter bio for everyone to, to check out in the, in the, the podcast bio section. Uh, Natalie, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me and for the nice introduction. Awesome. Where are you, uh, where are you logging in from today? Um, I'm calling in from beautiful, sunny and hot Los Angeles. It does not feel like uh, March 1st here. It feels very, very warm. That's good. I'm, I'm in rainy London where it's eight degrees or less than that now. So I'm pretty jealous because Josh is, is based out in, in Sydney and you probably had a nice sort of summer's day, Josh, right? Uh, no, it's raining. So, OK, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's raining and we, we've got we've got we're floody here in Australia. So, yeah, that's that's fun. So, OK, wow, well, we're in all different time zones across the world. That's cool. Yeah, I love it. It's, yeah, it's nine o'clock here. Josh, I think it's just after eight. And, and Natalie, what would it be for you? About four, four o'clock? No, it's actually one eighteen p.m. Oh, wow. Yeah. I got that completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's great to great to have you on. Um, I was having a look through your uh, your Twitter recently. I can see you're so passionate uh, about Bitcoin. So it'd be great for our listeners just to find out a little bit about that journey that led you towards that. Was there something in, in particular that made you feel really passionate about it and sort of how you got to, to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I am so passionate about this. I feel like I've found my calling and something that gives me so much hope for the future. Um, Just to give you a quick summary, I'm a first generation immigrant to the U.S. My family left Poland. Uh, My parents grew up in a communist country and had the American dream, the quintessential dream of coming here for economic opportunity. And um, I came when I was very little. Uh, We immigrated and I just kind of saw life getting harder and harder as opposed to easier and easier. So this this American dream, uh, I felt like the goalpost kept moving every year because every year things got more expensive. Um, school was expensive. Housing's expensive. It seemed like you had to work harder and harder for less money almost. And I saw my parents just really, really struggle. And I always wondered, you know, why is this when every the system around me tells me that this is the best place to be, right? And certainly we had more opportunity than than people in other countries, but it just seemed like there was such a struggle to achieve that American dream when it wasn't such a struggle, maybe a couple decades behind or for my uh, friend's parents who maybe grew up in the U.S. And so I think I had in the back of my mind this idea that something's fundamentally um, wrong or unfair with the system, that you could be a good person, work hard, pay your taxes, and still just not be able to feel like you're you're making it. You feel like you're kind of left behind. And I think that problem was accelerated by sort of the two financial crises we've, we've seen in the last 10 years. First, the, the financial crisis of 08, 09, and then more recently with, with COVID and the impacts of that. So my parents um, were just able to finally 
afford a house in the US uh, right before the financial crisis of 08, 09. And then I saw them lose everything. So the moment they like achieved the American dream, they lost it just as quickly. And so um, that was right at the time that I was leaving journalism school and embarking on a career where I was reporting on the stories and the crises facing my country. And um, and so I think I had this deep curiosity and this deep uh, frustration, this deep feeling that the average person is being left behind at the expense of, you know, the rich getting richer and the politicians who are making the decisions. And so to kind of land this plane, basically, when I discovered Bitcoin in 2017, I finally connected the dots. And to me, it painted a picture of why all these problems were were happening, why my family suffered the situation that they did. And I felt like it was the one glimmering piece of hope that through Bitcoin, we could rebuild a more fair financial order where it doesn't incentivize and benefit just the few at the expense of the many, but rather we all contribute value and we kind of realign our economy based on things that are are real as opposed to manipulated. So I, I was really inspired when I found it and now I've made it sort of my mission to educate people about it. I love that answer. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> real real passion we asked you about why yeah. you're passionate and you gave the passion mm -hmm. in the answer um i guess you're probably gonna be pretty passionate about this this next question as well um and it makes sense i mean we're sort of very sa the same here at itaro you know we're very passionate about sort of uh women in finance um sort of really breaking down those barriers um i think we've seen that more in the last sort of couple of years um you know the barriers to entry in terms of finance has obviously become much easier um but how has being a woman in the crypto industry been for you? Um, you know, it's it's a very male-dominated space. I think that's pretty clear to, to sort of see in, in some cases. Um, but it is quickly changing. Um, and I think one example is, um, you know, we, we're seeing, you know, in the NFT space, there's lots of female-led projects that have exploded in sort of 2022. And there's obviously, um, you know, a lot more people in terms of Twitter, like yourself, Natalie, that, that have, are obviously very popular um in in crypto um in the crypto space but what would your advice be to 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 women like sort of first getting into crypto and, and really sort of starting to dip their toe yeah well i'm glad you asked and um you know what i'm really proud to be a woman in this space and i think it's providing me with a lot of opportunity because it seems to be that it's such a male dominated industry and um and women need role models and i think leaders to look up to and so for me, you know, I look at some of the the people I've met who kind of want to downplay. They don't want to they don't want to be labeled as as a woman. I disagree with that entirely. I'm super proud of it. I'm super proud of the fact that I am a woman in this space who has put in the work and studied this and no one's really stopping me. And because there aren't a lot of women, I don't have a ton of competition almost, you know. So um, I think that you just have to get started. And I don't think that there's any barrier to entry because I think what's great about Bitcoin is it's for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a man, a woman. It doesn't matter your nationality, your religion, your race, all of that, which is really, really beautiful. And so, um, you know, I, I like to tell this little anecdote because I think what allowed me the, to feel this way and inspired me is when I was very, very young, starting out in my career, I went to a panel of, um, I was living in LA, Hollywood, and I went to a panel of power agents, female agents that were talking about this very same issue, that they were women in a male dominated industry. And for them, it was entertainment. It was Hollywood. And some of the other, some of the women in the panel kind of had that feeling of, you know, they, they didn't want to draw attention to the fact that they're a woman. They just wanted to be considered the same. They didn't want the label. 
And this other woman came forward and she represents all these massive stars. Uh, her name is Hilda Queeley, if anyone knows that industry. And she's from Ireland. She immigrated. She was like working out of a payphone to start her career. And she was she was hungry and she had this fire burning in her. And she said she's so proud to be the woman in the room. She loves her femininity. She loves her womanhood. And she feels like it's a it's like a an ace in her in her back pocket that she can present and she embraces it and she loves it. And and I was really inspired by that. And I see myself the same way. I mean, I think it's beautiful to love your womanhood, your manhood, um, whatever it may be, your identity. And I just I'm proud to be a woman and I hope I can inspire other women to feel like it's not an intimidating space and to get involved. Perfect. Yeah. And I think, you know, over time as well, as you say, it has become, you know, a little bit easier in the last couple of years as um, the sort of the growth of obviously crypto has come through. Um, and as you say, those barriers of entries are, are really sort of start, starting to come down. Um, I think probably leading on from that, the next question would be, you know, that, you know, as I say, you, you've been a journalist, you're now an educator, you're a podcast host. Where, where would you tell people to go for sort of their bitcoin related news you know are there any particular people on twitter that you think are must follows of course other than yourself um you know are there websites that you think that people should be aware of um and then putting that all together how do we then create a view on it right how, how can a, you know somebody first getting into the space create a view on bitcoin that's maybe sort of slightly impartial with a lot of noise around it at the moment mm -hmm. yeah well first of all i have to say that after really educating myself on this space, I've never met or looked up to smarter people. I, I mean, Bitcoin uh, Twitter and the Bitcoin community is full of people from all different backgrounds and industries who came to Bitcoin from different paths. And, um, and, and there are different reasons why they came to value it at the beginning, uh, which is, I think, absolutely amazing. And the people that I respect and admire most, I mean, there's, there's a huge list of them, and I've been lucky enough to have most of them on my show. But I would say Saifedina Moose, um, and he comes to mind first because his book, The Bitcoin Standard, really changed my life and ultimately my career. When I read it, I felt like you know, a veil was lifted off my eyes and I finally understood how the system worked. And I realized I wasn't taught everything I should be in school when it comes to our financial literacy and the history of our monetary system. So Saifedina Moose is a big one. And I recommend everyone read the Bitcoin standard. Um, there are also voices like Preston Pish, who's an amazing podcaster in the space. Uh, Jeff Booth, who he has these like amazing one and two liners on Twitter that are so profound and so philosophical. And he wrote this fantastic book called Price of Tomorrow, um, which is about technology and the future and inflation versus deflation and also Bitcoin. Uh, Michael Saylor, who has been one of the best proponents that we have in the media, and can, he was the first publicly traded you know company CEO to convert his balance sheet to Bitcoin. Lynn Alden, probably the most brilliant macroeconomic voice I've ever heard on any app asset and the history of, of money. Um, I mean, there's, there's so many people and I just, I recommend that if you have access to Twitter and you like social media, Bitcoin Twitter is a great place to learn. Um, there are so many articles out there and I would recommend, uh, that my like top five books are the Bitcoin standard, the bullish case for Bitcoin, uh, layered money, uh, fiat standard and, um, uh, what's the last one? Um, you know what? The real crash is also amazing. It's actually written by someone who's a contrarian to Bitcoin, Peter Schiff. And I just really like it because it, it offers, again, like a breakdown of the history of money and the history of, of why centralized authority has 
created a lot of inequality and, and not enough access for the average person to um, better their life. And I just think it's a really fantastic book. And it's nice to have a perspective of someone who's, you know, not maybe a Bitcoiner. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, uh, we can put together uh, a list uh, of those books that you recommended there uh, for, for people listening in. So head over to either Joshua or Ari's Twitter. We'll, we'll get that list down there. Bitcoin Standard, Price of Tomorrow. Uh, and the other few books that were yeah. were listed. Um, I, I saw recently on, on your Twitter, you were out in, in El Salvador. Is, is that is that yeah. right? Yes, yes. Awesome. I was fortunate to go down there, yeah. What, what, so what are your thoughts at the moment when comparing, and I saw this was a, a, a good tweet you did, where we got, say, El Salvador and Canada, and you're, 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 well, you retweeted it, I should say, uh, and it was El Salvador banks the unbanked and Canada unbanks the banks. What? What? I mean, this is just incredible what's going on, right? Every day, I feel like I can't believe this is reality. I feel like I'm watching history unfold and I feel like I'm living in the middle of a very pivotal moment where two systems are colliding and history is in the making when it comes to the financial order of the future. And I think that what is happening in El Salvador is amazing. Look, no change is going to happen overnight. But what I will say, um, the impression that was left on me that was the, the most compelling is that this is a country of people who used to feel like there was no hope for the future. And many of them used to dream of coming to the United States. Many of them only had access to education, higher education, if they had relatives in the US that were sending back money that was obviously heavily discounted because of remittance fees. And what I noticed is as the people learned about Bitcoin and had access to it and, and were starting to um, hear about their, their country's potential to, to build in terms of business and, um, and, and entrepreneurship and become like a competitive force on their continent, it was really inspiring because they finally they finally feel like they can stay and dream an El Salvador dream. And that's the thing that, I mean, all the people that I talked to, whether they knew a lot about Bitcoin or they were just starting out and transacting in it because it was now legal tender, they all expressed to me that they now have hope for the future. And I just thought that that was amazing. You know, a place that before was, um, you know, constantly struggling with war and division and poverty now sees itself as potentially, you know, being seen on the world stage as a place that highlights business and competition and capitalism and savings. And I just think that's incredible. So I was very inspired by my trip, but I will say there's still a lot of work to be done because the education, you know, I'm sure for both of you, it takes a while to really understand Bitcoin. You start out, you have doubts, you're skeptical, you're unsure. And it takes like a lot of exposure to information and the history of money to really appreciate it. And so there are efforts out there that are very, you know, strong, and passionate to get that education to the people, but it's just, it's, it's slow to happen. Right. I mean, this is, these are people who for the most part lived um, paycheck to paycheck or hand to mouth with their currency and their currency was never a match for the U S dollar. And I think now they, they are starting to see hope in Bitcoin and I'm, I'm excited to see that the education is really spreading there. Yeah, that no, sounds super positive and, and good things take time. I guess it'd be really interesting mm -hmm. to see how that how that all develops. Um, interesting question here. I'd be really intrigued to, to sort of hear your answer on it. So say, let's just fast forward two years time and say from where we're sort of trading now, say Bitcoin hasn't made another all-time high for whatever reason, what would, would be your reaction? Are you are you bothered by any sort of price swings that it experiences or is it just, you know, you, you sort of learn to deal with the volatility and, and really we're still in the early stages, right? 
Right. I mean, whenever I talk about Bitcoin and try to answer questions about volatility, I always remind people to really zoom out and to look mm -hmm. at the, the logarithmic price chart and its performance over the last 10, 12 years. I truly find it remarkable that in basically 12, 13 years, it, it, it at one point reached 10% of gold's value and gold took thousands of years to become money. I mean, I, I think that that's really extraordinary and that's really the power of technology and network effect. And we have more users now in terms of just like adoption and growth, we are outpacing what the internet was back in the nineties. So I think that's really inspiring. I do, I do, you know, also agree that it's volatile largely because of macroeconomic factors that we're living in. I mean, we're in the traditional system right now, even though people are starting to opt out to these alternative parallel rails like Bitcoin. Um, but, you know, we're still affected by things like liquidity and what the Fed is doing and interest rates and sort of this manipulated system that we felt like there was no other option out of before Bitcoin. And so right now, I think investors are on edge because the Fed, which dictates a lot of economic activity around the world because the U.S. is the global reserve currency with the dollar, um, everyone's expecting those rate hikes. We have a war playing out. People, I think, are a little bit scared and worried. And so we don't have that that initial um, demand that we need to maybe surge the price. But at the same time, look at what happened recently. I think that governments are providing us with commercials for Bitcoin as they try to freeze accounts in one democratic nation, Canada, and then in other countries where inflation is rampant, they can't trust their own currency or war is happening and, and they can't access their bank accounts or they're limited in how much cash they can withdraw. There's a run on the banks. They're trying to flee countries. All of these are such value propositions and marketing opportunities for Bitcoin because Bitcoin subject to none of that, to none of that, none of the, the, the seizure, the confiscation, the debasement. Um, so I think those are really important factors. And so again, for those principles, I believe in Bitcoin in the long run, and I'm going to trust it and store my value in it. And I try not to think about it in the short term, because I would never advise people to put money into Bitcoin that they need to remove in the next year or maybe yeah. two years or three years. I look at it as the long-term investment where this is going to pay off and pretty much no one's lost money that's held it for four years in Bitcoin or longer. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, zooming out is really important in times like this. We're getting that uncertainty and there is a, a fair amount of uncertainty at the moment for whether you're uh, <laughs> holding stocks or holding crypto, whatever it might be. I, I just think these geopolitical tensions added to already a fair bit of, uh, fair bit of uncertainty. So this was uh, not needed. But um, just looking at the price today, we've uh, had a nice little rally over the last few days from, from Bitcoin, which mm -hmm. has been good. Um, so were you ever maybe anti-Bitcoin? Um, you know, were you ever sort of arguing with yourself whether um, it was it, it was it was what you thought it was? And um, again, as you say, there's, there's lots of information you've got to read and there's lots of research that you've got to do. Um, or maybe not just Bitcoin, crypto in general. Um, and what would you say to maybe someone who doesn't currently believe in it and, and how they sort of change that mindset to wanting to, um, to, to understand its value? Yeah. So I was never someone who believed that it would fail or didn't necessarily believe in it. I think there was just a time where I was skeptical and I didn't understand it. And, um, you know, I don't know the exact saying, but I've heard it shared on Twitter of like, if you understand Bitcoin, then you essentially believe in it or you're not against it because it, once you go down the rabbit hole and you've put in the work, um, it's truly remarkable how much faith you come to have in this technology network that's still so, so early and so young. So I think it's more of a process of just, you know, 
you learn about it, you start to be exposed to it, you doubt it, you're skeptical. And then you put in the work, understanding how our financial system works and sort of why the problems exist and how Bitcoin was really created to fix a lot of those problems. And then you start to kind of connect the dots. And, and as you build knowledge, especially in the technology network, because you know, for me, I wasn't a programmer, I wasn't a computer science person. So I really had to dig in and understand you know, why this has value and is as secure of a network as it is. And you almost at that point start to equate it to the average person like the internet, right? So we all put our trust in the internet, even though we can't touch it. We trust email, which is a, a protocol, just like Bitcoin is a protocol, um, even though we can't touch really an email, right? And m many of us can't program an email. We don't know exactly how the internet works or how it was developed, but we trust it and it has transformed our lives and our commerce. So I look at Bitcoin as the same way. It's like the internet of money. And just because you can't touch it or feel it does not mean that it doesn't have value and can't be trusted. And in the same way as the internet, it's distributed around the whole world. So if you shut down the internet in the US, guess what? It's still gonna operate in all the other countries. And so in that, it's it's bomb proof. It's this, there's no central point of failure. It's it's probably the strongest computer network that could possibly exist in history. So I relate to people who are skeptical. And I think that's why I want to help people because I was there. I didn't understand and it takes some handholding. Um, but that's, you know, I would just advise people to, to just learn about it and, and they will make their own decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that that is, is key, isn't it, right? We, I think we've seen a lot of people over the last two years, three years, even going back to 2017 that have probably just sort of, got into the space maybe on just hype a uh, bit of fear of missing out right so i think it's really important that that sort of research comes through and understand the risk because ultimately as we've seen probably at the start of this year um you've got to contend with a fair bit of volatility so it's not for the faint-hearted um outside of bitcoin are you into any other crypto assets is it just bitcoin um or do you, are you sort of interested in the technology um you know outside of of the of, of the big guy yeah, so I'm I'm not into the other cryptocurrencies just because of their centralized nature. Um, I think that they will be deemed and regulated as securities, and I think that some will succeed and some will fail. Some will make people money. Some pe some will lose people money. Uh, and so I just don't want to venture there because on some level I almost see that as a casino. We're just betting on which stock is going to succeed or which company is going to succeed. And I just I don't have the time to to put into researching every one of those companies. I certainly think that a lot of those blockchains are much more centralized and. Um, sort of vulnerable to some of the um, the problems within our fiat system, our old system. And so for me, it's really about building a new system. It's about educating people on the problems within our current monetary um, global system and how it's impacted the average working person and then how Bitcoin fixes that. So that's what I choose to put my focus on. And for me, it's like, I, I really think that Bitcoin's going to be a global reserve currency. I think that it's going to have this, it has this unlimited potential and, and really an infinite price if and when it catches on. And so for me, looking at the other projects, just for a quick buck or to think that one might surge in value at at some point, I'm basically looking at it as when am I gonna when am I gonna exit? When am I gonna sell to take that money and then put it into Bitcoin? And for me, Bitcoin is the exit strategy. I don't ever want to sell it. So that's the difference, I think. And a lot of people I've talked to who are into the altcoins, they agree. They're like, I'm trying to make a big profit to sell it to take that money and do something with it, buy real estate, buy Bitcoin. And so I just, I, it's not it's not for me, but I believe in free markets and whatever people want to do and create in the space, like I'm all for. I absolutely love that. I've just written it down. Bitcoin is the exit strategy. And actually, just before uh, you came on, Josh and I were sort of talking about it. And I was saying how I, I need to be 
you know, more diversified into, into crypto and Bitcoin in particular. You know, at the moment, it's probably sort of 15% of my whole portfolio. And I just think, well, why, why not more? Um, you can see on, on, on Twitter sometimes when something bad happens or when something funny happens and people will say, they'll like quote tweet it, won't they? Say Bitcoin fixes this. Uh, and you've mentioned it a few times here, but what exactly do you think Bitcoin can fix in, I don't know, the US, for example? Um, for me, I think the biggest and most important thing is the inequality of access to opportunity. And so what I mean by that is when you dig into our current system and the history of fiat and our federal reserve and just central banking in general, you see that it disproportionately benefits the people who have power and money. It, it allocates capital to them at the expense of everybody else. And, and it allows them to privatize their gains and socialize their losses. And so for me, you know, thinking back on what I mentioned earlier about the American dream, I think everyone should have equal opportunity. We're not all going to be equal, right? Because some people are more motivated or talented and put in the work more than other people, but the access to the opportunity should be fair and should be the same. And I don't, I don't want to see it, our country head down the road of, of ballooning wealth inequality, because what that does is it puts such a pressure on society. It, it makes us polarized. It makes us angry because people feel left behind. They feel like no matter how hard they work, they can't make enough to support their families. And then they start thinking they can't afford to have families. And what's more fulfilling in my opinion in life than like having a family, being able to enjoy your work and then enjoy your personal time with them. And so I think we lose some of these fundamental values and society starts to break down and then we start to infight. And at the end of, at the end of the day, when you connect the dots again, it all comes back to our money. So Bitcoin is trying to fix that problem of like, leveling the playing field, going back to a system that's based on price signals, that's based on supply and demand, real interest rates, something we haven't had for a very long time. And this idea that you know, an economy should be based on what people, what value people bring to it and not by manipulated interest rates or, you know, someone getting access to money over someone else because they're a big company or they're too big to fail. We're just going to bail out the big banks at the expense of the little guy. I don't think that's fair. So for me, it's about addressing, you know, the equality, inequality, the fairness, the justice, those, those ideas and principles that I think are just universal to all of us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who wouldn't want that? For, for sure. For sure. Um, I, I guess moving moving away uh, from, from the US, um, we can't really go through the podcast or, or any podcast at the moment without talking about the sort of the Russia-Ukraine situation uh, as bad as it is. But I guess a, a little silver lining, perhaps, you know, do you think that what's going on there can sort of further legitimize use cases for, for crypto assets or bitcoin in, in general you know is there a little bit of a, a silver lining there yeah absolutely i mean i i kind of referenced this earlier but i really yeah. do think that what's happening on on the global stage is almost a commercial for bitcoin in so many ways both um you know the the negative and the positive things that we're seeing on the positive side we're seeing donations being made, you know, both to uh, protesters in Canada, as well as to the refugees in Ukraine. And those are censorship free. There's no third party. You can send it immediately from one part of the world to another without crazy fees and without anyone getting involved in taking a cut of it, which I think is incredibly powerful and amazing for the people that are fleeing. They can take whatever they're worth across borders with no one knowing how much they have. You know, you can't, you're not going to be stopped at a border with all your gold bars. You just, you literally have a password in your head or on a little hard drive, which is in, in, incredible. Uh, but on the flip side, you know, 
we are breaking down in terms of this global financial system that was based on the dollar being the global reserve currency. And so we created this monopoly in the petrodollar where all oil transactions had to be priced in dollars. And we've um, basically asserted ourselves as the, as the global superpower that can't be touched. But as we've debased our currency and money printed and sent our capital overseas, we've sent our manufacturing, our jobs, our money overseas, Um, I think it's given way for other countries, namely Russia and China, to start to build their own monetary rails and systems, especially in this digital world where they're building their own centralized digital currencies. And they're slowly, over the last several years, they've been moving away from the dollar. And now we're seeing it play out. It's almost like we've been ignoring the obvious for a long time. Russia has been planning for this and preparing for this, and they anticipated these sanctions. And we know that based on the fact that they're beefing up their reserves with anything but US dollars, right? And they're building their own digital currencies and they're recognizing the advantage that they have with mining because of how much energy that they have. And I think that it's it's like a reckoning moment for us where if we want to be competitive as a country and we want to protect the wealth of the, the people that live in the country, we need to look to something like Bitcoin because it's hard money that can't be inflated, um, that can't be debased, that is, again, based on value, based on cooperation, based on a secured computer network and technology. And I, I just I wonder what's going to happen and how this is going to play out, because we've just been um, we've been fracturing the system for so long and it's it's now weak. And and I think other countries have seen that and they're trying to capitalize on it. And so very, very significant moves are going to be made in the next couple of years, I think, on a global stage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and as you say, throughout all that, you know, as, as tragic as it is, what, what's happening is, is sort of highlighted Bitcoin's, you know, main goals, right? Uh, open source, peer to peer no one in control, no central bank, you know, so when we need to get, you know, aid to people like in Ukraine and at times of instability, you know, we've got people in Russia queuing up outside ATMs, trying to get cash, they can't get cash. Um, and they're getting capital uh, quickly through crypto. Um, you know, and I think that that helps serve as a foundation, as I say, to sort of legitimize it. But I also think we're starting to see it as a real life use case. You know, sometimes I think we can actually see Bitcoin as just an investment asset and we forget that actually the, the use case is behind it. Right. So now uh, investors are seeing that, OK, actually, wow, this is a use case and this is what it can actually do, which sometimes I think it's it, it's difficult to actually get across. Um, so, yeah. As I say, however tragic this is, uh, it's highlighting some of the positives out of, out of some of this. So, um, so back to you, Natalie. You obviously look after a very successful podcast, Coin Stories. Um, it's fantastic. You've had some, you've had some great guests on. I think you mentioned a few of them there. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. Um, you know, give us your pitch on it. Uh, tell us maybe some of your favourite guests who you've had on, and uh, maybe somebody who you quite haven't cracked yet and who you'd love to get onto that podcast. Yeah, sure. So I started it as really a passion project because I loved Bitcoin and I wanted to learn more about it from the thought leaders. And for me, I've always been someone who loves biographies and autobiographies, especially ones, you know, stories of people where it was like they overcame obstacles or rags to riches. I've always been very inspired by those stories, probably because I've lived so much of my life on the rags side. Um, and so I just, I really, I already had a podcast prior to Coin Stories that was just about people's career journeys and how they achieve success. So basically I pivoted to just Bitcoin. And I wanted to hear how all the biggest thought leaders, the people had who had the biggest followings and writ, wrote all these amazing books. I wanted to know how 
how they came to Bitcoin, why they believed in it and had such conviction and sort of their backstories, you know, because I think so much of who we are is informed and shaped when we're young and and our experiences. Certainly that's the case for me. So I started to reach out and thankfully they were very kind and open. And so many of the people that I wanted to get uh, said yes. And I thought it was going to be just a temporary series. And it really found an audience very quickly because it was kind of more personal and human interest driven than just the average Bitcoin podcast because you heard the backstories of of people, which is always nice to hear. So um, yeah, found an audience. It grew. I kept going. I've had everyone from Michael Saylor to Saifedina Moose to um, literally every author of my favorite Bitcoin book and all the people that have the biggest po- followings. Pomp, um, Dan Held, Robert Breedlove, I mean, everybody. So um, there's still people that I really want to get, including Jack Dorsey, Jack Maulers, Kathy Wood. Um, you know, I have lofty goals of people I would love to talk to, but they're very, very busy, of course. And my podcast is not like the biggest show in the world, like Joe Rogan's. So, you know, <laughs> I, I'm going to keep going. And basically when you tune in, it's sort of a mix. It's like, you'll get the headlines and information about Bitcoin that's relevant to what's happening now, but you also get some personal, some personal uh, stories and questions because I, I like to go there. I like to see the human side of people. So, um, so yeah, that's coin stories. Very good, very good. Yeah, Kathy Wood would be a good one. So would Jack Dorsey. Yeah, yeah those are the those are the targets. Um, um, so obviously we talked about sort of that journey there, and we spoke spoken a lot about obviously um, you know your journey with Bitcoin. What's next for you? What's next on the Bitcoin journey? Um, on your Twitter profile, it says hard money shows coming soon. Can you talk about that or give us any insights to what's next for you? Yes. So I am trying to partner with companies to create some more video content and really see the adoption of Bitcoin and the value proposition for Bitcoin and share that with the masses. And so for me, my background is broadcast, it's video. Uh, So like, for example, with El Salvador, I had the chance to go down with Swan Bitcoin and we're putting together some beautiful stories and beautiful programming about why people should understand Bitcoin and help them, you know, walk down that path of, of really understanding Bitcoin and then breaking down some of the headlines. So we're putting together a show that we haven't, you know, fully um, announced yet, but it's in it's in the works and we're really excited about it. And for me, it's a chance to also travel to some of these places and meet more Bitcoiners and see how adoption is happening in real time and just talk to thought leaders and help, you know, convey the message and simplify it. Because for me, you know, when I think about my future, I don't have like a, this is my dream job. Like me talking about Bitcoin every day and being able to afford a life doing it is, is really my dream job. And I just want to use the skills that I gained as a journalist, which is just talking and conveying a message um, to help spread the word on Bitcoin and help spread the education. Cause that's so key. So, um, so what's next for me is just talking Bitcoin. <laughs> Bitcoin is the exit strategy um, to, to, to wrap us up. Uh, on, on the potty we've got we've got these these quick fire questions i think we've got six in in total um favorite city florence italy oh why i used to live there so i spent ah. half of i spent four semesters of my undergraduate college life in florence italy so it's almost like a second home i miss it and i have so many nostalgic feelings and memories about it uh, my, my parents, a little bit of a uh, little, little fact for our podcast listen. My parents 
uh, when Florence on their honeymoon. And they said, if I was born a girl, that would have been my name. You know, a random piece of information <laughs> that no one needs to know. Uh-oh. I just dropped you all there. So, Thanks, yeah, I, love I love it. Yeah, I love it as well. It's a really beautiful city. Beautiful. Uh, a city you haven't been to, but you'd love to visit. Um, Tokyo. I really want to go to Japan. Yeah, amazing good things. Favorite thing about Bitcoin? My favorite thing about Bitcoin is that it offers hope for a better future. I uh, recently saw you at the Super Bowl final, Natalie. Uh, so, Super Bowl or the Soccer World Cup final? <laughs> Uh, well, I'm from Europe, and my family always watched European football, so I would say the World Cup. Good, good. I actually saw, I, I saw your, uh, I saw one of the videos you did, and I think you had an interview with, uh, with someone else there, and the, you were asking her about Bitcoin, then she asked you about Super Bowl, and uh, you, you, you maybe weren't quite as up to scratch with your Super Bowl knowledge as we maybe. Expect. Oh yeah, it was football. Yeah, my friend <laughs> interviewed me about football, and I know absolutely nothing about it. Yeah. So. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I love that you said European football there. You didn't even have to say soccer like uh, like most people in America. So I love that. Absolutely love it. Um, a night out with any three famous people, past or present, who would they be? Any three? Any three. Um, okay. I Joe Rogan. I would just love to sit down and have a conversation with him. Uh, Audrey Hepburn, I just, I love her and I love her style and grace and her movies made an impact on both me and my mom, uh, growing up. And then, um, who else? Chris Pine and it would be a date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. We did say a night out, not, not dinner either. So yeah, we have a few drinks. Um, so last one, um, if we wake up tomorrow and when Bitcoin is, is trading at 10, ten thousand dollars what's the first thing you're gonna do buy more yeah (laughs) it's really it's so it's so funny because yes i want bitcoin to get to 100k and i truly believe it will but you have to understand that once it does i'm gonna only be able to buy less and less without any paycheck that i put toward it so (laughs) i i don't mind the choppiness in the sense that i already know and believe in the system and i'm able to get a little bit more for my money right now so i'm buying the dip (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it, though, isn't it? With anything, if you believe in it that strongly and it's that early on, yeah. you kind of want it to dip a little bit. Um, so, yeah, imagine imagine that, though, by the way, tomorrow mm. waking up and it's at 10K. I think the world would be a very, very odd place. Um, we did a yeah. we did a podcast episode uh, a while back, Natalie, with our CEO Yoni Asia, and uh, he was very happy to tell us about his story of when he was buying Bitcoin at ten dollars. Um, so uh, yeah, if you, it was yeah. single figures, wasn't it? Josh? Was it? Was it, it maybe like five dollars? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's actually his pinned tweet on on Twitter. I think he was talking to Brett King about it, but. Um, but yeah, and we said to him, so what, what, jealous of those yeah, people. Yeah. We, we said to him, what was your, what was your only regret? He said, I wish I bought more, <laughs> which I think would be, um, of course, but yeah. 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 I really wish that I had done the work, you know, years ago or someone told me about it earlier, but I, it's like that saying, Michael Saylor has tweeted it. We all get Bitcoin at the price we deserve. So. <laughs> yeah. I saw that speak today. Yeah, no, so true. So true. Well, look, Natalie, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to have you on the podcast. As mentioned at the beginning, for, for everyone listening, I'll, I'll put some links in uh, the podcast bio that can link you to, to find out more about Natalie. I've, I'm going to tweet her her favourite books that she recommends people to, to look into. But Natalie, it's been an, an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. 
You've been listening to Digest and Invest from eToro. For more information, visit eToro.com. <laughs>